Infinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here with Father Charles. When did I? When did I? When did I stop being Father Chuck? I noticed that lately. I've been Father Charles. When did I stop being Father Chuck? Father Chuck. I don't know, man. I. I you got me cornered, and I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety right now. I mean, calling me out. It's been all of, all of our for our audience. It's it's been it's been like four episodes where like I've been described <laughs> as Father Charles instead of Father Chuck, and it, I mean. Okay, if, fine. Father Chuck is here. Oh. If we want to change my persona, that's cool. I mean, Matt gets a new one because he's no, a cop now. But I mean, I just I just no one consulted me. I don't want to take your experience away, Chuck. And if so. you're going to rewrite my character, I'd like to have some say in the matter. You know, I mean, it's in my contract. <laughs> anyway, I'm here with Father Chuck. <laughs> Hi. What's up? Uh, and I'm also here with Matt Wells. Possibly, I'm Possibly. still debating. Yeah, I may hang. I may hang up the. I may just not be there anymore. See, see, here's what I think. Here's what's happened, uh, listeners. Is um, Matt? Matt is you know Officer Matt. He's become a police officer, and uh, because of that, he spent a lot of time at the gym and around lots of really manly men, and so that means he's morphed into like a jock. <laughs> and now drinks, drinks Coors Light. Drinks yeah. Coors Light. And now, and now that, um, and, and he doesn't want to associate with us nerds anymore. He now that he's got a chance to sit at the cool table, I, I, I get it. Yeah, that about sums it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I, you don't get sit. you don't get dad bod like me without hanging out at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listeners, um, <laughs> if you're still listening, we lost you already. <laughs> you haven't heard from us in a while. Uh, today's episode, uh, we were just going to do another, uh, one of our favorite, uh, riftastic, uh, episodes. We were just going to uh, talk about what's on our mind, which I'm sure is something you all look forward to every once in a while. Uh, so to, to start this off, I'm just going to say, um, I've been really enjoying Frasier. Um, and Niles suits. All right. So that's what's on my mind. <laughs> of all the things that are happening in the world, <laughs> we've the you know possible nuclear things. war. We've got uh, we've got we've got you know military parades supposedly happening in the middle of of of, of Lincoln Avenue, and here is is it Lincoln Avenue? I can't remember now. Pennsylvania oh, Avenue. Pennsylvania Avenue. I used to live in D.C. I should know these things. <laughs> um, and and instead, we're going to talk about Nigel Crane in his oversized suit. Niles. In, in a, did I say Niles or I say Nigel? You said Nigel. Oh, my so. gosh. I should just stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> well, uh, guys, so there's there's a car in outer space right now. That's true. There is. Um, it's Matt. Matt, Matt, did you watch uh, the 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 heavy the heavy Falcon? The I I did not. No, no, no. I I didn't either. I just watched like clips of it. Um, Chuck, did you watch it? I mean, you you work at a school. I imagine was there like a special viewing? Was there? No, we're we're kind of a little bit far away from. Um, from being able to see it here. The only way you could see it is if you went to the beach and kind of looked north. But even then, like, Boca's pretty far south for that. But we, um, um, the, the, the thing that's kind of frustrating is that I was in Orlando um, this past weekend, 
And when I was growing up as a kid, like we always went out and watched like shuttle launches and stuff. But I came back like the day before the Falcon Heavy launch. So I, I, I didn't get a chance to relive that, um, which is really a shame. But what's exciting is if that thing's going to be a regular deal, that means I can take my kids up to Kennedy Space Center and we can catch a launch because I never got to see one, you know, up close. So I didn't either. But I did go outside many times to the golf course just to watch a, a shuttle or two uh, exit our atmosphere. And that Man, was fun. What a, what a, can we take a moment to appreciate um, just what a, what, a, what a really cool, unique Florida thing to be able to do? <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, I don't know if Matt has a history of, I don't know, watching stuff leave our planet. No, I mean, no. I you walk outside and you look up in the sky and go, Oh look shuttle. I, I guess I did that a couple of times growing up. We never like went to go see one though. Just kind of sad. Uh, so, and you know, you know what Matt never had to experience Chuck that you and I probably experienced a lot were the uh, occasional sonic booms in the middle of class. The sonic booms were awesome. And <laughs> no matter how many times I heard them, would scare the crap out of me. Yeah, I always thought it was like Judgment Day. Like, <laughs> like, like this is it. This is it. No. Okay. I thought I thought it was supposed to be a trumpet, but no, it's just a boom. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've mentioned a few times this podcast. I grew up um, in a double wide trailer, and those sonic booms um, hitting that trailer was incredible because it would shake my entire house. Like, because you know it sat on cinder blocks, and like you would you would feel it in the walls. And I thought I thought like someone like backed their car into my house or something. Yeah, I remember mostly hearing them like when I was in school, and most of our classrooms were like in those double wides, you know. Right. So like the whole thing just like shook like it was an earthquake all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, again, these are cool things that that's, that that are that are that are key Central Florida things because, like, you know, I mean, every time there was a shuttle launch, we took a break from school to go outside and watch it. Yeah, it was awesome. My school didn't do that, but <laughs> oh, well, I, I saw the I saw the night launches. That's all. Night launches were cool. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, uh, yes, there 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 is a Tesla out in space right now and um you know i gotta be honest with you guys i, I kind of i i want to be really like impressed by the novelty of it you know yeah like wow there's there's a tesla it's it's Elon. a guy put his car into space and it's on its way to mars or i don't know i, I guess i heard somewhere that i might have overshot he, he overshot mars it's going it's, it's going to wind up in <laughs> gonna, um, in the asteroid belt yes. yeah yeah, it's going to land on an asteroid where a space worm is going to try to eat it, and it's going to be covered in Minoc. And nice. Yes. Um, so I don't know if, I, if I'm impressed by the novelty or if I'm like, uh, of course, a billionaire, you know, just sending crap into space. Good for him. I mean, think about it. Just put it in like, put it in and try to in somewhat of an objective sense. And it is like the most like billionaire, like crazy billionaire thing to do. Like. Yeah. Oh, he shot his car into space. I mean, it sounds like something a completely insane person would do. It's <laughs> and like that's just like car into space, like all the things he did. Like it says, "Don't don't panic" on the dashboards from you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, they included uh, the the foundation uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation trilogy on it, on like a really state of the art like compact disc. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know. In case an alien picks it up, I was like, oh, I guess I'll read Asimov. Well, 
Oh, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're mentioning this because I just finished um, Jeff Vandermeer's uh, Southern Reach trilogy. Um, the first book is called Annihilation, and the movie with Natalie Portman is coming out like next week. Oh, Annihilation, oh, yeah. and um, um, I won't spoil anything because first of all, the movie looks like it's completely divergent from the book. But um, one of the things that the book deals with is sort of the idea of something being so so alien to our conception that it makes no sense. Right. And so I, I, and like he does a really good job with that idea. And that's the thing I think about. It's, it's got me thinking a lot about like the Tesla because the whole Tesla concept, because like, you know, we, we designed this stuff, like going back to, even going back to Voyager, was it Voyager six or whatever? The one that, um, that, that, um, that, um, that, um, Carl Sagan, that Carl Sagan put the golden record on. Yeah, I think this is one of the Voyagers. Yeah, is um is like okay. I mean, that makes sense to us, but you find like an alien that's working from a completely different paradigm. Like right. they're not gonna know at all what that device is. I mean, maybe right. they investigate enough, but it's like, but they don't even have like the framework with which they they probably won't even have the framework with which to like to like even make the comparison. Like it's 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 it's. You would think that an alien species would be like coming from such an insanely different frame of reference that like a record uh, to, to them it's it's I don't know it's just, it's just a funny thing that we think that like somehow out there they're going to find this disc and they're going to notice that there are grooves on it and they're going to know they should take a really tiny little needle and run that around on it and that's going to translate into sound like there are a lot of steps involved in that and we can yeah. and, and and in comparison. We find like we find like a pottery shard in like a dirt pile from like the Roman Empire, and we're like, ah, we don't know what this is. <laughs> right. It's just I don't I mean, know. It's 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 us trying to understand like how insects function or like how right fish in the in the in the southern China Sea, uh, you know, discovering new species every day and like what their body parts are doing. Or we don't even really know. <laughs> right. You know. Right. So, I mean, but uh, my thing is still like, is it like, is this kind of frivolous or is this, is this in any way scientific? Is it something to be proud of? Is it something to be like, this is dumb. I want to know what Matt thinks. What, what? I don't (laughs) know what I think. This this conversation or the car in space? (laughs) (laughs) The car in space. I mean, and just not just that, but also like, Even when Carl Sagan put that record into space on the Voyager, like, is this just kind of like, is this just man's hubris? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, from one point of view, what else are we going to put out there? Like, <laughs> That's true. We we only have what we have, so what are we going to do? I say iPhone, iPhone and Netflix, why not? I yeah, say I say we stick something out there that makes completely, like, that just makes zero sense to us. So that it accomplishes one of two things: either, either it will make sense to an alien, or they just get this concept that the only other intelligent life in the universe is completely insane. <laughs> just a, like a Slurpee machine. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Or like, like, like they like dig up dig up that time capsule that they that they stuck in the ground at Nickelodeon at at, at Hollywood at at, um, at um, Universal Studios Orlando and fling that into space. You know, 
Like, are, are, speaking of that, side note: Are we getting any closer to opening that baby? Or uh, I don't, I don't remember. They, they actually, they actually exhumed it when they, when they shut down Nickelodeon oh, really? portion. Yeah, it's impressive. they've interred it somewhere else. They haven't opened it, but they, they exhumed it and like put it somewhere. But you can find a, there's a list online of what's in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, what's his face, uh, Joey? What's our Joey from Blossom was the one who like was like the one who like put it in the ground, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, so uh, did he put himself in it? Cause I haven't heard anything about him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. I'm pretty sure. No joke. I'm pretty sure one of the items in there is a baseball cap that has whoa on it. <laughs> That's what you launch into space. Exactly. <laughs> It becomes some some society's god, like <laughs> just <laughs> it's like Galaxy Quest. Yeah, <laughs> cheesy nonsense becomes like their idea of humanity. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um. So, did you guys watch uh, the Cloverfield Paradox? Uh, not yet. I kind of want to watch it. Wait, it's out. Yeah, it went uh, straight to Netflix on Super Bowl Sunday. You didn't know that, Matt? Well, I saw, like, the commercial that it was coming out. I didn't realize it was out the same time the commercial came out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't know that. That's that J.J. Abrams mystery box. Um, it's it's not doing well uh, in terms of uh, critical reaction. And not just critical reaction. A lot of friends I've uh, watched that said that they, like, really don't like it. I haven't watched it, by the way. I don't have Netflix, so I haven't seen Ten Cloverfield Lane either. I don't know if I need to see that too. Oh, really? Uh, I, you don't have to. I mean, these—it's like you know, episodes of The Twilight Zone. They're not like connected. Oh, but, okay. Uh, you should still see it because it's really good. Well, I, and I just—I I actually really, really like Cloverfield. Um, I think it's—I think it's a—I think it's a very, very good American analog to Godzilla, the original Godzilla movie. Um. Yep. I haven't watched it in a long time, and I keep forgetting that T.J. Miller is in it. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, Cloverfield Paradox. Story behind that is Paramount. It was made at Paramount, mm-hmm. and then they sold it to Netflix. And I think this is actually isn't the same thing happening with uh, Annihilation. I, I thought I thought they sold it in exchange for Annihilation. I thought there was something about that. But yeah, Annihilation is going straight to Netflix in international markets. It's only going into limited release in the United States and like China. Like ten days later. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it's but it's it's getting like, but like I think in Europe or something like maybe outside. I can't remember. There, but I remember reading. I think it's only getting a Netflix release in like a lot of the world. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, and it's, it's kind of like when it was announced that the, uh, Cloverfield paradox is going straight to Netflix. A lot of people were saying like, Oh, how exciting. <laughs> like this is, uh, this is kind of a cool thing. Netflix is doing, uh, you know, something exciting we can expect from them. And, uh, it turns out it might've just been because Paramount didn't like the movie. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, speaking of speaking of Netflix releases, you mentioned that you watched it, but you never gave us your your, your final thoughts on Bright. Oh Lord. Um, it's a bit of a mess. Because I, I I I'm 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 totally on board. I need to watch it. I think 
Matt, did you see Bright? Yep. I, uh, having a hard time remembering what happened <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> um, I can say that uh, I the <sighs> I'll start with some positives. How about that? <laughs> I like uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the guy that plays the orc cop, Joel Egerton. Uh, yes, Egerton. Uh, he was good, and I like the orcs. I think they're really cool. I think they look cool. The makeup is really awesome. I love, I actually really love that they, that the that in orc culture, heavy metal is like their rap. Like they think it's like beautiful music. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, uh, that's about all I can say that I liked it. Okay. Well, that's. Uh, I didn't, I, I don't know. I think like it, I don't know if I really like David Ayer that much as a director. Um, I didn't like that the orcs were sort of coded as kind of a mix between Lat- Latino and black gangs and other minorities. Like there's there's like there's scenes where orcs are wearing like sports jerseys and like headbands and stuff and like gold jewelry and it feels a little like that's that that's not a good way to kind of make a race analogy <laughs> you know like maybe make the elves the oppressed class i don't know i don't even know if that's a good idea but i i, I think like it, it's it's made me think a lot about like race issues and like and and how it pertains to, like fantasy and how fantasy is, is kind of racist oh totally in some ways um I mean, play, play, play on massive and play, you know, massively multiplayer online role playing role playing games. I mean, they're you know, the, the race plays a huge factor in that. I mean, you've played, you've played um, Skyrim, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it, racism is. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you don't like uh, what's his face, the 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 guy from um um ah geez, JP. What's the the guy who leads the the the, the rebellion um in Skyrim? Oh, oh gosh, I forgot the guy with the, 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 the I don't know, I forgot his name. But the one he like Ul- re- is it Ulrich? Ulrich, yeah, the guy really doesn't like the elves. Yeah, yeah. I remember That's you and I would text problem. back then we would play that game, and you would say like, "Well, he's 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 racist. I don't want to join his faction." Yeah, the Nords are super racist. Yeah. Um. But uh, here's the thing. It it and and I'm kind of borrowing a little bit from Lindsay Ellis. My favorite film critic of the moment. She wrote. She actually made this really great video about it, and she actually compared it to Crash, the movie Crash that came out. Uh, yeah. Where like the kind of the, the their ideas of race in the movie are like really misguided, um, and it probably would have been great if they just didn't address, <laughs> if they didn't try to like draw an analogy with race because like, I don't know. There's so many hurdles you have to jump in in, in creating that, and um, race is like a th- the reason why racism exists in this world towards orcs is because they did something thousands of years ago that caused them to hate them. And um, that's not how racism works. Uh, it's something systemic, you know. Right. 
so and, and and so like a lot of the race issues in that movie just kind of stem from that and it just kind of creates just like a snowball of like oh you're doing this all wrong yeah i mean but to be um, fair but to be fair jp the racial issues between the jews and the palestinians is kind of rooted in things that happened thousands of years ago well this was very specifically about american racism like that's how it's coded I mean, I get that. I haven't seen it, so I can't really say much. But yeah, um, but um, interesting. I don't know. There's, there's the fairy lives matter line. I thought was the fairy lives don't matter line was was weird. I don't know. I thought it was confusing in terms of like what they were trying to say. Uh, I guess as like a crime film, as like an action film, it's it's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't I wasn't totally on board with it. Well, my real question. Into it. And plus, I also thought it was actually kind of boring. Hmm. Like, like I, the reason why I'm having a hard time remembering everything is because I, I mostly kind of ignored it because it felt kind of meandering. Hmm. It felt, it, it actually felt like a movie made for someone who's probably going to be like on their phone, <laughs> you know, while they're watching it. Um, what I want to know is um, what Officer Matt thinks, and would would Officer Matt have an orc as a <laughs> as a partner? <laughs> Why you gotta Why you gotta stereotype me, lump me in with with him? Why Why can't I relate with the orc? Why? Huh? What? I'm just, <laughs> just, just your cop. Are you saying you you are... relate to orc cop? That, by the way, that's what the name of the movie should have been. Is orc oh, cop, totally should be called orc cop. Yeah, I'm. I'm saying every time I get into a patrol car, the person that there is like, I don't want to ride with him. So it makes sense. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh uh, no! I I um I thought the movie was was kind of fun, but but also I agree with JP. It was also kind of boring at the same time. Yeah, I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but watch it; it will. Um, but yeah, I I, I don't I don't know. I'd be I did think that it had one of the most realistic portrayals of the lineup room in a police setting where they all just walk in they're kind of goofing around the lieutenant like gets upset has two things and tells them to leave that's how it is instead of these movies where they have these elaborate speeches <laughs> um i thought this one was more realistic they walked into the room they're like yeah this is what's going on now get out out there and that's, <laughs> that's the end funny. of it yeah so but yeah it um yeah, it, it was. It, I, 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 yeah, just what JP said. It, it was a mess. <laughs> All right. I, 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 I enjoyed parts of it, but it was a mess. And like yeah. the, like the, <laughs> the fairy part. I agree. With the quote. It was odd. It felt out of place. Felt forced in. There's lot. Yeah, there's I lots actually, of things like that. Because I actually thought that that scene was hilarious, but until that happened. Um. Speaking of which, I'm going to get... I have to wait a second, because this police car is going to turn around. But, yeah, he's literally pulling up behind me. So, I might have to... <laughs> I might have to call you back after oh. um, I finish explaining to him who I am and what I'm doing. So, I, this whole conversation has made me realize something. That uh, th- January is terrible in terms of movies. Oh, that yeah, totally. All we're, I mean, I, I realize that in the abstract, but I realize we're, we're, we're talking about Netflix releases right now. Like, 
<laughs> yeah. When <laughs> we really are. It's this. You, you, I mean, we're talking about boring movies. This, this, this podcast got boring just talking about these movies. <laughs> I know, and I wish I had. I wish I was more uh, articulate about my my feelings toward Bright and the problems I have. All I can say is just to seek out Lindsay Ellis's videos. She really is brilliant, and it's a great episode about fantasy and racism and stuff. Um, basically, it just really kind of boils down to: I don't orcs should not be an allegory for minorities. I think that's a bad idea. You know, Matt, were, were you going to say something else? <laughs> Who knows? I got, I got pulled over. He's <laughs> oh, yeah. of my ticket right now. Yeah, no, that was funny. I did know him when he walked up. That's uh, the second time. That's the second time recording with you guys that that's happened. <clears throat> so here's something I want to talk about. If you'll allow me to just just interge- interject here. So I was in Orlando this past weekend, as I mentioned before, and I was there because um, I was going to a funeral um, for. Um, uh, uh, the dad of a guy who I used to, um, who was in my youth group and I, uh, there as a kid and, and a kid I taught surf and um, and uh, anyway the thing that was crazy about it was my childhood church where the funeral was at and which is you know Baptist as we've talked about and I tried to keep an open mind okay um, and tried not to be too judgmental over anything that was going on or whatever and you know it was what it was but there was something that was bugging me during the whole funeral sermon, right? Now, I realize I say this, like, critiquing a funeral sermon is usually not, like, the best thing to do. But what, what bugged me about it, and it, it didn't dawn on me until almost the end of it, was that the pastor never once talked about the resurrection of the dead, and because of that, it felt like there was no hope in the funeral sermon. Hmm. I don't know. Is this something you guys have experienced at all? Like, is this like, I'll say this, the funeral sermon, the basic outline of it was this, was this guy was a good guy. He had a good life. He loved Jesus and knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because of that, he's in heaven. And you can be in heaven, too, if you just pray this prayer with me. And then he led everyone through the sinner's prayer and asked people to raise their hands if they prayed it um, along with them. Um, I mean, it's, do you, when you talk about the resurrection of the dead, like, what do you mean specifically? Like, is this something Episcopalians have to do? Like, (laughs) do do you just mention like the, the miracles like Jesus did? Or is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about like how in the book of revelation and like, and like all the the whole idea that one day Jesus is going to return and raise everyone from the dead, that someday like death will be undone. Like it's pretty central idea of the Christian faith. Yeah, I haven't been to that many funerals in my life. Uh, like, you could seriously count the number of funerals I've been to on one hand. Um, I can't really remember, but I, 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 I'll say I don't recall anyone ever mentioning that. See, it's it's, and it's shocking to me. I mean, I realize I, I, I guess I'm kind of realizing I, I grew up not hearing all of that, and that there was a lot of talk about the crucifixion. You know, Jesus' cross and saving us on his cross and all this stuff. But it, it, it ultimately boiled down, it seemed to boil down to a, a type of idea that, like, Jesus' crucifixion, like, all it was was is something that was that made it possible for me to say this prayer that could guarantee me to go to heaven someday. Uh-huh. And, like, ultimately that's Gnostic because 
Yeah, because it, it's one, it's like, you know, special knowledge. But the other, which is, you know, because Gnostic mean, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means gnos, um, knowledge, um, and specifically sort of like esoteric mystical knowledge. Um, so it's like you're, you know, you're in on the special club by, by saying the special prayer and all of that and, you know, but in reading the special book. But there's also, there's also this, that one of the things that was, that was big in the Gnostic sects was this um, dualism between the material and spiritual world. And the material world was like corrupt and wicked and, and, and was going to be destroyed someday. And the spiritual world was perfect. And that was what we have to try to attain toward is a spiritual identity. And so the idea that, oh, his soul's in heaven and that's where he's supposed to be and that this world is corrupt and falling apart. And so your goal is to escape this world. Like that's actually a, that's actually a heresy from, I mean, that was condemned as a heresy in the earliest days of Christianity and I don't know, it just it just really like it just it just it just took me aback. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm being sort of the theology nerd um, right now on the podcast, but it and it, it it really kind of disturbed me to think of how many Christians I was with that just don't hear the hope of the idea that Jesus is actually undoing death, not just like providing an escape clause for everybody. I mean, I'll I'll just say like you know the more. I talked to you in depth about like the book of revelation and uh, a lot of different other things in the Bible. I'm sort of realizing like how little I know <laughs> and, and not just like, because I'm not, I haven't read it or studied it, but because of like how I was taught to read it and that I was kind of conditioned to skim over parts and assume some parts especially when it comes to the revelation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm starting to think that maybe I was I taught. Think I think I'm starting to think that I was taught it wrong my whole life too. Yeah. Um, Matt, what about you? I was caught up in listening and I'm following, but I'm, I'm what, what's the question? Because <laughs> <laughs> that branched out, it branched out in a couple different ways. So I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to put together a thought while i'm listening but i'm like wait what was the original that's why just a question i guess in the sense of like i'm just sort of i'm i'm trying to share that like i I was you you started with funerals because i I was following your conversation i'm just a i was lost on how to form my gotcha part of this conversation (laughs) so so i was at this funeral i'll recap so Mm -hmm. is that a funeral the pastor at the funeral in his sermon did not did not say anything about the resurrection of the dead. Like the idea right. that it was all, the dead in Christ will be raised someday. It was all evacuation theology. It was all evacuation theology. And I realized that because of that, the sermon and the whole experience felt very hopeless. Like there was, it didn't seem like there was hope. It was just sort of like, yeah, we're gathered here to be happy that this guy got to escape. Mm-hmm. Like there was no like, and the day is coming where we're all going to be raised and everything's going to be made perfect. And the thing is, is Wait. that he opened, he opened his sermon by actually quoting from the last chapter of the book of revelation, what talks about all of that. Um, but then he did nothing with it. And just sort of made me realize that like, and like JP just said that I grew up not hearing much about the resurrection at all. And it wasn't until it wasn't really until 
some Bible classes, but even then, not until seminary, that this was something I talked about. And I was like, you know, it's a central idea for so much of Christianity that it, I don't know, it bothers me. Like I also said, it it it, it has Gnostic elements to it. Sorry, JP, but, you were trying to say something. And and, and you meant. Sorry, you meant you you grew up not hearing about the resurrection at all. You mean resurrection of believers, not correct, like Christ's resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Jesus's resurrection we talked about, it, but it was sort of like, like even 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 at even one that point was underplayed. Yeah, because like even at one point the pastor, like even in the sermon, and he was talking about, he said, you know, talking about Jesus, you know, we we you know we believe that he died on the cross to save us from our sins, and he was raised from the dead. But it was it just it was like a tacked on thing. It was like everything was about the crucifixion, right? Um, which is which is which is obviously a huge and important aspect. Oh, totally. But but what but what is interesting to me is I do feel like I feel like Christians tend to be, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm being raised like JP was saying, feel this way. We're kind of lousy at expressing hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we don't really get it, and we don't really express it right. And I find and I find this whole conversation interesting because the resurrection I feel like is part that was underplayed. It was almost the afterthought. Like he died on the cross to take away your sins, and he rose again. Like, but the apostle Paul is like, if the resurrection didn't happen, then none of this matters. Right. Like the the whole point is the resurrection. Like right, and the then going on to fiction, the crucifixion was necessity. The resurrection is everything. It's hope. It's it's joy. It's 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 well, conquering death itself. Right. And saying and saying you can have this too. Right, like, and going so far as Paul even then says, you know, because Christ is raised, we also will be raised. Right. You know, and and the whole part of the, it's the whole mechanism of that the power of death is rendered powerless. I mean, you know, death, where is your sting? I mean, that's, you know, what Paul says in Corinthians. And it's just kind of amazing to me that, I mean, I remember my pastor, and this is not the same pastor who preached this this funeral. My, my, my childhood pastor is at a different church now. But he, um, I mean, I remember him once even talking about, like, the... Um, it was during that phase when Baptists were like really upset about um, the Passion of the Christ. I mean, no, I'm sorry, the um, the Last Temptation of Christ. And one of the criticisms he offered was that it ended with a shot of the cross. He's like, you know, it, it ends with the crucifixion. It doesn't show the resurrection. I mean, obviously, Scorsese is trying to hint at, you know, this is a story you know. Um, okay. But um, but like he was like, you know, made this really strong point about, you know, you've got to have the resurrection. Like you've got to have the resurrection. And then, and, and like, that's true. But then so many of the other people at my church seem to like lost the, like, you know, have seemed to lost that, that and are not known how to articulate that, I guess. And I mean, I don't know, maybe we can do a whole episode on this, but it's just, <laughs> it's just a thing that I'm, I'm just really sort of fascinated. And like I said, and just sort of disheartened by, it because it does seem like, I mean, it seems utterly hopeless if your whole message is the world around you is going to crap someday. It's going to burn up. It's going to be destroyed. So your best hope is to pray this magic prayer so that when you, so that one day you die and you, in your soul escapes or you wait for a rapture to take your soul away. Um, like that's a, I mean, that's, instead, that's like friggin' mega melancholia. I mean, that's like a really depressing worldview. I mean, 
instead of the instead of the view that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Right. Like the the I mean that's that's a message in the Bible too, but we don't talk about that. Like, right. The same the same Christ who who came out came out of the grave, the same spirit that rose him from the dead is alive inside of you. That means that and and not to get too like woohoo about it, but at the same time, can you be too like woohoo about it? I mean, the the power to overcome anything is alive inside of you because Christ chose us. Like God chose to place his affection upon humanity, died on a cross to show that he's conquered that he takes on the, the penalty. And then rose from the dead to say that all that now that that's over and done with. Right like now, now you're free, and now you can take part in this. Like the the joy that that creation itself started new when he stepped out of that that tomb. That it's like you don't have to live by the same the same nonsense that you were living by before, and you don't have to be afraid of anything because he, he conquered literally the the last thing is death itself he mm-hmm. conquered that and he's like now now you you do it like like go live be 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 fearless be courageous make take risks do do crazy things knowing that if you're if you're seeking to to bring peace to bring his kingdom here and now to earth to be a part of introducing that to people then then do then you can do anything because like what what do you have to fear it's, right death, death itself has been conquered we are we're free from the the concern of death we're free from the the guilt and and shame of oh my goodness i messed it up what what does that mean and we are allowed to be alive right now here and allowed to 100% enjoy that if we would just let ourselves enjoy the right now because we don't have to worry about later. Like, what what does it matter about where I'm going afterwards? I should be able to wake up in the morning and be so filled with joy by the fact that I can be here now with no fear of anything. Like... To, to live fully to express a better way of living. Yeah, I mean the idea. I mean, I mean, you think about you know. With, I mean, this is the this is the thing for me, and maybe we should just do a whole Easter episode. But like, the idea that the idea that I mean, you think about how like our framework works based off of death, right? Like death is you know the idea that death is this final thing. I mean, it shapes everything. It shapes. So, so much of why we do what we do day to day, it explains why we get greedy, why we try to pursue money, why we try to pursue like all these things, because we run from this framework that time is running out and that we've only got this time to experience anything. But you take that factor out completely and that, compl- and that, and that I mean, totally changes the way you see and interact with the world. The world no longer becomes a place of scarcity and limited time. You know, and 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 so you don't have to worry about you know, like you said, there's no fear. You're not afraid because, you know, that the worst thing that could happen to you is that someone kills you, or someone you love, and that one day they'll be back. So it it doesn't have any lasting permanence. I mean, that's that's the hope of the resurrection, and to me, it's 
it's such a it's such an amazing story, and that's the thing that makes the gospel such a cool thing. Um, and to just not talk about that, instead to sort of treat it as like, oh, here's your get out of jail free card or whatever, like that, it cheapens it in such a such a shocking way. Well, and I and I had that I had that discussion. Um, I'll call it a discussion because that's the polite way to put it. <laughs> um, I had that discussion with somebody before, and and it basically came down to where I was sitting there, and they're just going on and on, and I'm like, but. I said, don't you understand that hell isn't the point? Like, we focus so much on hell, and I have to save them from hell. They have to, we have to keep them from going to hell. I was like, hell's not the point. And they're like, how could you say that? What's the point then? I was like, Christ is the point. Yeah. Like, if, if you focus on that, then, then you don't need to, what's the concern about anything else? Like, we spend so much time focused on judgment and escaping judgment that we're missing the joy of what we've been freed to. Right. It's a pretty amazing, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing when you read through Paul's sermons in the new Testament and he never once talks about like, Oh, here's the, here's the X, Y, Z that you need to do to get to heaven. Like he never even mentions that he, everything like his sermons all boil down to, you know, the proclamation, like the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. So that whole because, idea you're talking about, that judgment, all that stuff that we define ourselves by, that stuff that we're trying to avoid because we're trying to save ourselves, like that's just gone now because it doesn't, and, and like I you mean, said, it's been revealed. It's not the point. It's been forgiven. Right. So now and whether, live a guilt-free yeah, life. Right. And whether you're Calvinist or uh, whatever other terms I can't think of right now, whether you believe you're chosen but you're still supposed to to preach the gospel or you believe that everybody has a choice or you believe that it doesn't matter because everybody's going the discussion if the discussion is 100 percent fully about christ and what he did alone then none of that needs to be argued and discussed about right now anyway right like why why are we standing outside yelling and i'm not saying i have i'm i'm not downplaying the um the joy of being able to to dive deeper with people and and discuss like you know discuss differences and talk about it and like, like we're doing right now kind of stuff like you know that i I'm, I'm all about that i love it i love debating i love discussing i love hearing things from new points of view i love sharing my opinion i love when people tell me i'm wrong and i love when somebody's eyes light up because they're like i finally get it for the first time like i love all that but when it comes to how we interact with the world and what we're supposed to be doing no matter where you stand on any of those, we're all, we should all be out there expressing the exact same message, and that's that Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and has allowed all of us now to be empowered so that we can go out and tell other people that we don't have to be afraid of anything. Right. You never have to feel alone. You never have to be afraid. You don't have to walk through this life wondering, does anybody care? Does it even matter what I do? Because all of that was taken care of for you. You have been freed to live your life 100% free of all that worry and 100% the way you were meant to be. You can be you, enjoy you, love the day from the time you wake up till you go to bed and have a peace about everything that happens, whether it's good or bad, happy, sad, have a peace knowing that God himself cares and has said it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, why? What? 
if you're expressing that to somebody, why are you concerned about them accepting it or not? If you're teaching, talking about it the right way, who the heck isn't going to want to listen? Right. Except for the the one rare example of some like full on psychotic person, like what who's what are, what are you going to worry about? And that's what drives me nuts about people who preach this mindset that like if the world if the world likes you, then you're doing something wrong because <laughs> yeah. the world the world the world should like hate you because they hated Christ. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, the Bible says they hated me first and all that. But if you really read scripture, it's not, quote unquote, the world that hated Christ and hung him up on a cross. It was the the church that thought they had it all right and didn't want anything to do with the world. Like, it's the people who said that they were the believers and everybody else is not. Those are the ones that rejected, beat him, hung him on the cross. The, quote unquote, world were the ones lining up on shorelines to hear him until he had to climb into a boat and go out in the water to preach because there's too many people in the way. Like, so if I'm out and about and people like me, that means I, according to some pastors, that like means you're living your life wrong. If you can walk into like, God forbid, let's use a three letter word. If you can walk into the door of a bar and somebody smiles at you and waves, you're obviously going to hell. Like you're you're obviously not living your life right because right. they should hate you. And when you walk in, there should be like a spotlight and choirs of angels singing, and everybody else should feel ashamed and run from you or throw bottles at your head. But then, but like, then, but then, but then, those same people want to have like churches with like five thousand people sitting in them every week. Yeah, yeah. But then we want those people from that bar to come to our church. Right. Is this idea where like the world has to hate you? Uh, you know, hell is the point. Um, you know, glossing over the fact uh, about resurrection, escape, escape theology. Is this all happening? Is this all being preached? Is this all being kept from people like me growing up or preached at people like me growing up for political reasons? Well, I'll take, I'll take the moment to just say that what my, the thing that I'm kind of, my, my, my soapbox right now is a little bit that we need to get real honest as Christians that it doesn't matter if you're Democratic, conser- Democrat, or Republican, conservative, liberal, whatever you want to call yourself, we are being used and being bamboozled by political partisan purposes. And we've got people that are telling us, that are dividing us up into good Christians and bad Christians and saying that good Christians are the ones who vote like us and support our causes. And that's super not helpful at all because the reality is that is that I'm gonna it's gonna get me in trouble, but for some people I'm sure, but I'm gonna offend people on both sides of the aisle. The Republicans actually don't care. They don't care about pro life causes. No, of course not. And you know why I know that? Because one, you know, they've got the opportunity now to to really do some serious uh to do some serious, you know, some serious damage to to uh, to um to abortion, to, to, you know, abortion laws and stuff, which I'm going to be honest with you. I lay my politics on, on, on the table. Like I'm, I'm super pro-life and, you know, um, and I'm, and I'm, and I would, you know, I'm not that I would necessarily support that kind of move, but I'm a pro-life person, but they don't do it. They, 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 they've had, they've been, they've been, they've been setting this up, you know, for, for, for decades now as their cause. And then they never do anything. They have a chance to do it because they know that as soon as they do that, they don't have anything else. Um, and the other thing I know why they don't care about it 
is because they would act, they would rather choose the rights of gun owners over murdered children, murdered elementary school children. Like, if you're going to care about a 20-month 20, a 20 pregnancy, if you're going to say that that's murder, what are you going to do about the three-year-old kid who was shot in Sandy Hook? elementary or i guess three years old too young but like the six-year-old kid shot and murdered in an elementary school and you're gonna sit there and say i don't know your access to guns is more important than that kid's life come well, on first, first first we need to not politicize these tragic uh, events chuck okay well and that's why i'm gonna get to my other point so that we can keep <laughs> things fair and balanced here and that is democrats democrat i know you're joking but democrats also do not care about like the racial and progressive causes that they claim to care about because as i you know they care more about the votes those things bring in you know they, they care about virtue signaling more than they actually care about the causes and doing anything about it because again they want the votes and when they have the opportunity to do any changes they don't do any changes i mean come on like you know, there's a reason why people didn't trust Hillary Clinton in the election, and that's because her and her husband instituted policies that were detrimental to black communities. So, you know, don't get up there and act like, you know, this, this arrogant attitude that, like, oh, because I'm a Democrat and because I'm running off of, you know, running off of the goodwill that Obama put out that I'm suddenly going to get the minority vote. Give me a break, you know? And sitting here and saying that, you know, that if you're a real Christian, you're going to vote this way or that. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you're a real Christian, you are going to be a prayerful person. And that may take you places where it's going to require you to make, you know, vote in decision, you know, make decisions and vote for candidates that might not always fit and line up. But that's because you're looking for the person who you feel is, 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 is doing the right thing. Um, which is Jill Stein. <laughs> which is Jill Stein. <laughs> um so like I said, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble, and that's why I'm going to say, like, these are my views. These are my personal views. These do not necessarily reflect that of the institution of the Masters of Divinity. Um, but I do think, JP, that that's part of the reason, to get back to your initial question, that I do think there is a political element in it, because I think that there are partisan politics that have put pressure on churches to interpret their scriptures and their traditions in a particular way that makes them palatable to those political ends. Yeah, so, I was talking to you a few weeks so, ago about. Sorry, go ahead. so so wait, so so what you're actually saying is vote Father Chuck for 2020. <laughs> no, do not do that. Do not do that. <laughs> Even though I'm, well, I won't I won't say what I was about to say, but no, do not do that. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say we talked about uh, you know I, I watched this like two hour long video about someone did this like intense research on the left behind version of, of the book of revelation. And it was like very illuminating and like made me very angry and how, like when you really kind of break it down, that whole belief, it just sounds like it, like black helicopter backwoods, Republican conspiracy theory. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's very, I don't know. It is political. Like that, that the whole left behind, thing is totally political i mean come on our our, our absolute fa- one of our absolute favorite movies on this podcast is a thief in the night and the united nations are the bad guys in that movie <laughs> and it's so wonderful because the thief in the night they really have like what's great about that is like they do they do not go into any kind of like world building in terms of like how the un comes into power yeah no they uh, because just... they clearly can't a they can't make a connection and b they have no idea how the un operates 
Um, Left Behind is like scarier because they like invent how the UN operates. <laughs> uh, they just kind of make it up as they go. Um, also, uh, the, all this post and pre millennial dispensationalism is making me think about our new doctrine about post and pre millennial. Oh gosh, we're do this again. You know, Father <laughs> Father Fun, friend of the show, Father Fun, is going to be very disappointed that he's not here to talk about this because he was thoroughly entertained and engaged in that conversation. Um, for to so JP, cue our listeners into what you just said because I don't know if they really caught it. Okay, well, see, you know, I I, I believe that I come from a generation. Uh, you, you might know me as a millennial. I prefer millennial. The willennial. Because I believe that I, I believe I, I came of age uh, in the period of when Will Smith reached the height of his popularity with his album Millennium. Or sorry, Willennium. Willennium. <laughs> Uh, but this kind of also led to the story about like kind of comparing it to post millennialism and pre millennialism, which is like <laughs> the doctrine behind, you know, the rapture and stuff. Yeah, dispensational theology. Yeah, the, doc- <laughs> the doctrine behind rap. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. The doctrine behind rap. Uh, sure. Oh uh, my gosh. Why have we not thought about this? You don't he- see. He- you're not going to hear the blowing of horns or trumpets. It's going to be, ha-ha, yeah. No, ha-ha. excuse me. It's, excuse me. The Trump has resounded. I'm just saying. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, that would, be, that would be funnier if I actually hadn't seen photos of a pickup truck somewhere in, this, uh, in, this, in, these, in these United States that um, had the King James Bible passages with the word Trump, the Trump of the Lord, but they had oh replaced, they had replaced the, the Trump part with um, Trump bumper stickers. Yeah. It just reminds me of those, uh, those pictures are supposed to look like oil paintings of like Jesus embracing Donald Trump in the Oval Office. Have you seen those? No, they have those. Oh, of course man, they do. Is... Of course they do. <laughs> that that goes over with that weird Christian art, like like the there. I went to this one mega church. I think it was in Dallas. I believe so. Yeah, where they had the giant canvas painting of like the modern day world and, a, and, a, and like this this the skyline of a modern day world, and like there's just nothing but disaster happening in this beautiful painting, but like you see souls leaving like planes and cars and going up into heaven and it's like i don't know that's what that reminds me of have you yeah. seen this painting are, are you are you talking about the, the rapture the famous rap like that rapture painting where there's like yeah. airplanes like crash into buildings and stuff yeah yeah it's the front piece of this book that i have called the rapture exposed it's all about like the, it's all about like the politics of of rapture theology like like that documentary thing you watch on youtube yeah I've seen it. I've they seen a track this, that had it. Yeah, they had this on an enormous canvas at this church, like on the wall. Must have been the original. Into the auditorium, probably. It's like it's horrifying. <laughs> oh, again, hopeless. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I. But yeah, I mean, I do think that there is. I think there is a certain degree of politics behind it. I mean, come on. I mean, it go, and this goes back. I, and that's just not now. It goes back to the. I mean, it goes back to the Puritans and stuff. I mean. You know, they were, you know, these were, you know, radical Calvinist people who, you know, were worried that, 
you know, that, you know, they didn't like the Catholics and the Anglicans and all them because they seemed to like, they, they were able to have a good time because they trusted in this, you know, unmerited, you know, you know, this, well, I shouldn't say unmediated, but, you know, but this idea of like an abundant grace of God that covered them for their sins. And so like they enjoyed life, they had fun, they partied, they celebrated, Whereas, you know, in a lot of cases, the Puritan communities didn't really do that because, you know, they, you know, they, they, they didn't think, you know, that if you were, if you were enjoying yourself, that you were somehow, you know, indulging in the flesh or whatever. And so it, it takes on that dimension, you know, they try to, you know, the group of people that try to order society along those lines because, you know, they were concerned about people's eternal destinies. And so they would, you know, they would meet out the kinds of scripture readings, you know, there were certain passages of the Bible they didn't want people to read. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, they would try to really get people to avoid the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, depending on what your Bible calls it, because, I mean, it's an erotic poem between a husband and a wife that has taken on a mystical spiritual uh, tradition over time. But like, you know, it's got some pretty explicit stuff in it. And, um, and, you know, we don't want the people to know about that. Um, well, let me ask you guys something, and uh, this might be a good way to kind of to end. This may be a good last leg of the episode. I don't know how, how long we've been running. Um, About an hour. I'll ask you guys both, and uh, yeah, um, you know, we're living in a very politically charged climate. Thanks very much to the twenty-four hour news cycle, and very much to uh, just the politics of the day <laughs> and the things that are happening. And because of the condition of our uh, technology, how we're able to connect to each other. And, you know, we have other elections coming up this year and then another one in two years. What can people of faith do to protect themselves from people who are going to use their faith against them? in terms of like trying to control them to act politically, like with their faith. Like what, what, what can, what would you guys tell them to do to keep themselves safe from that? Matt. Um, I'm trying to, trying to fully understand the angle that you're coming from by yeah. asking you- like what, what, so see, just, Ask the question again. I'm phrasing my, I think I have my answer, but I want to make sure I'm approaching it from the same angle you are, if that makes any sense. Well, we're talking about how, how, I know, no, I know how politics are, how people use our religion and stuff to manipulate us in politics. Right. Um, How they lead us along and all that stuff. What can the average everyday person of faith do every christian uh, every uh, school every uh, sorry church every sunday christian do to protect themselves from that to to keep their you know their wits about them and so that they're not manipulated Uh, i would i would kind of argue the problem i'm gonna see i'm trying to phrase this in a way that makes sense but but i guess this is just the let's just step on toes episode and worry about it later um (laughs) Better to ask for forgiveness and permission. Quit trying to protect yourself. Um, Okay. I think that we're too, I think the problem is we're too hung up on trying to be comfortable and protected. And we're too concerned that somebody's going to undermine our faith. And therefore we are easily led down side trails and roads that are 
going to keep us from being influenced by the outside instead of my faith is big enough to to withstand anything that's going to be coming going thrown whatever history has had in the past or will have our, our faith is big enough to encompass all of that so why worry about protecting my faith and instead just dive into it like go, go just just embrace embrace your faith and be out there doing like don't be afraid of the questions don't run from people whose ideas don't line up with yours don't condemn people whose ideas don't line up with yours um hold tight to what you believe to be true and interact with them instead like why why do we feel that we need to keep it in a box locked up so that somebody can't possibly mess up our world when instead i'm like no you know what like let's talk about everything because it's like chuck was saying you know i mean i'm i'm huge pro-life because to me life itself is something that should be cherished and protected but do you condemn somebody because they don't believe that and cut them off and and try and pass all sorts of things so that they can't possibly voice their opinion because they're evil and wicked and if you try and do that are you accomplishing anything other than pushing them away from from discovering the joy of life itself and instead invite them into your life into your conversation talk with them be genuinely interested in what they have to say why they have to say it find out the people who are just the the quote-unquote um, pro-choice because they don't actually even know what that means it's just because it's the cool thing to say and find out the ones who legitimately have some kind of story in their past as to why they believe that pro-choice is the way it should be and interact with that. Dive into that and find out what issue caused you to believe that it's better to have the option to abort a child and what led you to believe that and how do we address that? What, what issue caused that view in the first place and how do we address that issue? Because there's an underlying thing to everything. Like it's not as simple as it's my way, it's your way. It's humanity's way and we have to figure out what got us here in the first place and why we're so far off track on so many levels. And if you get hung up on it's my view's right, your view's wrong. And if you don't see that, then I will literally make it illegal to be you. If you get hung up on that part of it, then it's like, how are you ever going to change it? Instead of <clears throat> open yourself up to all of it and talk about it and discuss it but hold tight i'm not saying give up on what you believe hold tight to what you believe but be willing to talk and share why instead of just hitting people with what you believe and expecting them to accept it or passing laws to make it make it illegal for them not to like i don't know because okay it's just that's that's what it's become does that make any sense yeah or did I just rant for no reason at all? No, 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 no. <laughs> and it, and it, and it, it, it comes close to what my response to the question is, JP. And that is, um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a little story because I had, a, I've had a bit of a revelation of my own recently. Um, you remember? You, I don't know if you, and so much Matt, because I don't know what your social media engagement is like these days. But, um, but I, um, 
thanks to JP shared a tweet um, that caused me to actually re reinstall Twitter on my phone. That's why I do it. That's why um, I do it, guys. I haven't That's been why. on Twitter in like a year, and then I, I I reinstalled it on my phone because of this tweet, and it came from Jerry Falwell Jr. And it said, I don't remember the exact tweet, but it, the, the first line says, Jesus told us to love our neighbor, but... And then he went on this whole thing about like, but not how to run the Roman government or all the and all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, and and people it, it it made its rounds and people made a big deal out of it and people got really upset about it. And I, and I read it, I was just flabbergasted by the thing. Um, and I even I even engaged with it on Twitter. But the revelation behind it, um, that served as a catalyst for me to think about something important. And that was two things, which was that. Jerry Falwell Jr. was wrong. Um, he, he, his, his Bible exegesis, his understanding of the scriptures was wrong. Um, what he, he put words in Jesus' mouth, which is wrong. At the same time, what really interested me about this was the way that people responded to it. Other Christians responded to it because it suddenly became a way for Christians to use his tweet as a way to prop themselves up with how much better Christians they were than Jerry Falwell. And, you know, and, and I know I, I've used the phrase already tonight, but that phrase virtue signaling comes to mind. It's that idea of like, how, look how much better I am because of this guy. And how, let's think about, let's think about the, the, the parable of the Pharisee, of the publican and the, ta- and the tax collector. You know, the publican, uh, or sorry, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is the one who is in the temple and he's saying, you know, thank you, God, that I am what I am and that I am not like this tax collector. And the tax collector's prayer is just, Lord, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, Jesus uses that as a way to show that, you know, we're not supposed to be like the Pharisee. We should be more like the tax collector. We shouldn't be sitting there trying to show ourselves off as being better Christians than, than you know, than someone else. Because that's how, that's how these political interests get in these, these partisan powers get involved in us is that they divide us up into good Christian, bad Christian. And we're, we've gotten to such a point that the Republicans see every Christian like them as the good Christian and every Democrat liberal Christian is the bad Christian. And the Democrats are the exact same thing. They see every Republican Christian as the bad Christian and everyone who votes like them as the good Christian. And so we get ourselves into this feedback loop of constantly vilifying one another. So around the time that that all happened, um, I, I do a midweek mass at one of our um, um, at one of our sister congregations here in Boca Raton, and the reading was on Jesus talking about a um, a kingdom divided cannot stand, and it dawned on me that that's what's going on here is that there are there are worldly powers, even dare I say demonic powers, that are have a vested interest in making sure that the kingdom of God is divided, and so. If we are to combat this kind of mindset, this kind of thing that tries to co-opt our faith into it and use it for its own means um, and its own aims, then the thing that we need to do is to find ways to be one body in Christ and to recognize that Jerry Falwell Jr. is just as much a Christian as I am. 
as anyone else is. And instead of throwing other Christians under the bus, we find ways to helpfully rebuke them, but in a way that makes them better at their Christianity rather than trying to tear them down. Um, I was reading a commentary on 1 Corinthians uh, for sermon prep a couple weeks ago, and it was um, it was specifically about the passage where Paul talks about not eating meat sacrificed to idols, and he opens up by talking about love, and he says, you know, you need to you know you need to love each other. You know, everyone has knowledge, um, but the person who has love, you know, knows that they are known by God and all this stuff. Anyway, the point being is that the commentator pointed out correctly that that the beginning of all ethics for Christians is love. And so I'm, I'm starting to come around to the idea that I have no business criticizing Jerry Falwell Jr. I have no business criticizing Donald Trump until I can learn to love that person. And once I love that person, then I'm in a place to be able to say something. Then I'm in a place to be able to speak. But when you love someone and and you do address them and rebuke them, you do it in a way that tries to make them better and build them up rather than tear them down and make them look bad. And so that's the kind of stuff we Christians have to relearn. We have to relearn how to put love as the center of what we do. And we have to learn how to be able to worship together despite our differences, because when it all comes down to it, the only thing that should matter for us is Jesus Christ, his, his, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb is already talked about, and the way that he has changed the world. That's what should matter. How we vote, our opinions on that stuff, that's all completely secondary. We should be able to worship together in spite of all of that and be able to have healthy dialogue about those kinds of things and model for the rest of the world what, what, a, what a healthy, loving society looks like so that people will come along the journey with us. So that's, that's my sermon. Very good. <laughs> um, okay. Awesome. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting just to sort of like sum up what I think both of you are, are, are saying is that uh, there needs to be more shocker empathy, right? Empathy for your fellow man, for people who are marginalized, who are in pain who don't who have a very different experience than you have and, and if there's someone sort of like telling you to not care about those people to worry about yourself or that uh, i don't know maybe that's maybe don't listen to that <laughs> because yeah. the point is 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 to help one another look the poor the, you know the, the poor and working class whites who voted who voted for Donald Trump, they did so because they are legitimately scared and in pain. And we have to recognize that. Like, we may dismiss it because we're saying, you know, like, oh, you know, 75% of the, of, of, you know, of, you know, the, you know, white unemployment is not as bad as black unemployment, all these kinds of things. And there's some truth to that, but that doesn't change the fact that people are legitimately scared. And maybe it's a manufactured fear. Maybe it's not actual fear. Maybe, you know, again, it's a political system that knows that it can feed off of that fear and we need to find ways to combat that fear. But the point is, is that we start by first acknowledging that there's real, there's real emotion there. We can't sit there and, you know, we have to recognize that, you know, all of us are in this system and all of us are being played and that the only way to get past being played is by doing the opposite of what they want us to do. You know, they, they want us to hate each other. And what we need to do is learn to love each other. Right. Yeah. So do that by voting Jill Stein. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> if that's going to be the case, maybe I will run in 2020. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a uh... man. Unless he has something else you want to add. It's a good place. We can end. Yeah. I think we're done. I think we're good. <laughs> I'm glad it sounded like we're, we're done. All right. Uh, so that's all the time we have. Um, I want to thank Father Chuck and Matt Wells coming up for our wonderful Riftastic episode. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Because, <laughs> I don't know, it kind of turned into like a real episode. It did. It really did. <laughs> it, got, it got way too real for JP. Way too real. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Father Chuck. Thank you, Matt Wells. Uh, join us again next week where uh, we'll teach you how to crosshatch. Uh, crosshatch. What? Crosshatch. Type of like arts and crafts thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Type we'll of stitching. Anyway. I'm gearing up for that. Master's Divinity, for... Master's Divinity starting next week is going to be an arts and crafts podcast. We're just going <laughs> to completely change our format. Just basket weaving. Why not? Crochet. And just to prepare us for the rapture <laughs> and the post-apocalyptic future. You never know when you're going to need basket weaving. It's true. Never know. Baskets are handy. Uh, your, your overlords may be impressed. Mm-hmm. Good or night, can... everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us and a good journey. Good journey. Good journey. <laughs>